Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Fly Perbole. I am your host, Steve Jaco. Back here after way too long without Eamon Smith. Eamon Smith is back and just in time to celebrate the city of Smashville. Oh, God. Uh, you, you, this is supposed to be a Flyers podcast, and you've just set yourself up for 10 minutes of me screaming about how awful these Predators jerseys are. <laughs> you've brought this upon the listeners. Why would you do this to them? They don't deserve that. I was Hello, t- everybody. You know, <laughs> I was just so sad about the Flyers for, for most of the day. And then I had this gift dropped in my lap from the city of Nashville in these jerseys, which are so well-intentioned, right? Like, they really meant well. They thought they made something cool, and they did not. And it's, it's, it's a shame, because they did mean well. It just did not work. It didn't work at all. And it's going to be quite a win. It was already a strange winter classic, right? Having the Predators and the Tampa Bay Lightning. But then to to have them wearing what they're wearing and like the Lightning have like a pretty generic jersey. It's perfectly fine. It's very clean. That's great. But then the Predators have this Smashville that I and I have no problem with the phrase Smashville. Mind you, I, I, do I have, have an issue with that being on the fucking jersey. Yes, I have. I it, like if it was in the collar cool if it was like in a seam or something cool but like that is the primary thing it's that in the guitar pick and as i said in the slack i kind of wish the guitar pick was the captain c because it's cool it's awesome and they've used that as a, a secondary logo for forever that's the shoulder patch on uh their older jerseys and i think technically the current ones too the adidas ones uh they've used that for forever so the predators i mean have a pretty not great jersey history compared to a lot of nhl franchises but they have cool logos and they just it's it's mind-boggling to me that they swung and missed this badly because it really is not that hard all that the fans actually wanted was if you look this up there's a navy and white jersey design from i want to say like 2011 and the preds logo was white with red eyes or like silver i know the and exact people one just wanted about. people just wanted that but with yellow instead of white and that was it or gold <laughs> uh and instead they decided we're gonna go like try to be creative which is fine but then they did what like every stupid uh tennessee like middle tennessee based high school uh football student section has ever done and i can speak from experience because i know mine did which is they were like we're gonna make t-shirts and we're trying to make them look like concert posters like country music concert posters <laughs> and they use that font and it looks awful because the the letters extend over the yellow uh stripe that's in the middle of the jersey and none of the letters are the same size and it, it just looks like so squished in there and too busy. And it, it really just looks like a crappy t-shirt, but made out of jersey material. And then on the back, 
I mean, it's fine, but they have this weird little preds on the collar, and it's, again, in just the most whack-ass font you could think of. <laughs> whack-ass. And it's just, it's just a mess. And I immediately sent it in the group chat to, like, our, our work slack um, in Auburn Hockey to our graphic design team, because I know a bunch of the people in there who are graphic design are Predators fans and, like, do jersey mock-ups in their spare time and all of them at once were just like oh god what have they done (laughs) oh i'm sorry to pick on you guys but it was like definitely the funniest thing that happened in hockey today and i i needed that pick me up and i'm I'm sorry it came at your expense and uh you know it just i I, i'm sorry it turned out like that i have another i have another funny story for you to maybe pick your spirits up a little bit okay i'm i'm on board this is not in the show notes, folks, so he is, he is hearing this for the first time, too. I love it. So I went to New York in my absence uh, for reasons that are, you know, not really worth discussing on here. But I was in New York and the only to go city to New York where you can get pizza and bagels. It's true. The only only place you can get those things. Yes. The only place. Very, very nice city, according to Capo Caco who looked like he was being held at gunpoint when he said that on Twitter. <laughs> what was that, like, the day after he got drafted or I something? I believe so, yeah. Very, very nice city. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, in order to go to New York, uh, we came in through LaGuardia. And, I mean, it's less LaGuardia than it used to be, but it's still LaGuardia. <laughs> but actually, nothing weird happened when we were flying into LaGuardia. The weirdness happened when we were flying out. I needed to go use the restroom. So I walk in, and... I'm walking over to a stall because all of the urinals are occupied uh, besides like there's like the space in between people. But I'm like, I'm not about to go next to somebody if I can just go take a stall. Right. If if you can avoid it, you should absolutely avoid it. Yeah. I don't want to be Flyers commercial lucky urinal man (laughs) over here in the LaGuardia airport. (laughs) I'm still just glad I got to bring that into everybody's lives because and just ruin their entire day because the entire slack. I I feel like half the slack hadn't seen this commercial because I think of being out of market. Exactly. It it is a strictly in market commercial and they hadn't seen it. And I uploaded it to a private YouTube and uh, just horrifying. So again, what I was saying with Steph last week is when men are in the restroom you know, we don't really like to make contact with each other. We don't want to talk to each other that much. We don't want to stand in the stall next to each other. So if, if you if can... there's something open other than the urinal directly next to me and you go to the urinal directly next to me, you're an asshole. I'm angry at you. Exactly. Like, screw you. I'm not going to vocalize it because I don't want to make eye contact with you. I'm taking a piss. I don't want to <laughs> talk to you. But anyways, topical here because while I'm walking in, there is a guy wearing... A Michael Strahan Giants like T-shirt, boom. And I'm I'm walking past, and this dude walks in. He's a LaGuardia employee, and he starts talking. And he has like the most obnoxious, over-the-top stereotype Boston accent. <laughs> and he starts he starts going, "Hey, hey, you!" And he's like talking to the Giants guy. In the urinal, he pulls up next to him. I'm walking, like, past them at this point, And he starts, like, shit-talking him <laughs> about how Tom Brady on the Buccaneers is about to beat the crap out of the Giants. 
I, I can't remember if it was like Sunday night football or Monday night football, but they were about to play the Giants. And he's like, Brady, the greatest of all time. He's about to beat the crap out of the Giants. And I'm like, is this a real person? And I just, I'm, I'm in the stall at this point, but I just take a pause and I'm like, I got to listen. And the guy keeps going at the New York like fan in the stall next to him or the urinal next to him and they're just like trying so hard not to respond you could hear it just by like the dead silence and then finally they just they just like in the most not not like depressed but can you please screw off kind of tone or just like oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) i know that i've given that tone to to many people (laughs) so he just gives that to him and the and the dude like goes right back at him and he's trying to have this whole conversation with him while they're standing next to each other at the urinal and he's trying to smack talk and he's like he's clearly a patriots fan and he's talking shit about a team that's not even playing the patriots that's what got me this is incredible this is prime boston right there like he's still shit talking on behalf of a guy who hasn't played for his team in like two years he's still on board i guess i mean if you've had, you know, I think at this point we all have to acknowledge that Tom Brady is the GOAT. If you had the GOAT on your team, I guess you should be, you know, just shit-talking on his behalf at every opportunity. But that's that's stunning. And he just kept going. It's one of the most stereotypical Boston things I could imagine happening, right? Just, like, walking up to a guy who is just trying to take a piss and just shit-talking incessantly. Yeah, and then, like, I'm walking out of the bathroom at this point. The dude is at the sink washing his hands. The Boston guy is still going. And then the Giants fan leaves, and he, like, you know, when you're having a conversation with a little kid, and you gotta go, and they don't really understand that, so they'll partly follow you, and then once you start, like, making it clear, all right, I gotta go somewhere, I'm leaving, they stop, but they sort of just stare at you as you go. (laughs) That's what this dude did. Walking out of a LaGuardia bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) That's stunning. That is absolutely stunning, but it all sounds right to me. And the only thing I'm not, the only thing I'm actually shocked about as far as like not happening is I'm shocked that the Giants fan didn't shit talk for the two Eli Manning Super Bowls over the Patriots. Yeah, I think it was just the situation was so odd. Like if, if, if this guy came at him and they're like in security or... Or waiting by the gate or something, something you know, right? Like... Yeah, or eating. Then that's one thing. But you're standing next to each other in the urinal, so I totally <laughs> empathize with, like, why is this dude talking to me? I don't want to speak to him. I'm just going to get out of here as fast as possible and try to ignore that this ever happened. Like, that seemed to be the attitude. And I, for one, would probably do the exact same thing in that situation. Oh, yeah. You're basically being held captive at that point. You are a hostage of this guy who is shit talking and he knows it. He knows it. He knows he can get away with anything because the odds are you're not going to just stop pissing to shit talk. You're just going to want to go about your business and call it a day. So he's got this guy on the hook and he's taking it for all it's worth. (laughs) It's just wild to me. I just I was trying so hard not to just bust out laughing while like in a stall because that would be kind of odd of me but you know there's there's my tale from new york what a what a great city what a nice place it, yeah. it really Only is in new york, exactly even. like uh the side talk videos are with uh people screaming when the knicks lose or win and uh spider-man wearing like a, 
a bunch of crip stuff drinking henny have you seen any of that i don't think i have no but this all sounds like new york you know every experience i've had in new york is exactly like that you should when we get done with this go look up side talk i will 100 percent check that out it is it is quality content specifically side talk the next season opener is probably one of my favorite things I've ever seen. I wonder if I, I, I did see a bunch of, I, I saw a bunch of highlights of Knicks fans, like talking shit. Like they, they are number one again after the opener. So maybe I did see that there, but I'll definitely check it out. I, I did want to tail back real quick though, to laughing in the stall because at my old job, there was a guy who I, I was friends with and I, very distinctly knew when he was laughing in that bathroom because I he had like a distinctive laugh and I knew it was him. So he would watch like YouTube videos on the shitter and I would just hear him like laughing to himself like ha like <laughs> God damn it. Oh my god. <laughs> I like I like your impression of him. <laughs> like what? <laughs> and then like we'd get back to our our work chat and I, I'd be like so, did you have a good shit in there? Because it sounded like you're having fun. I just... Oh, my god! That bathroom, I, I was telling Steph about it last week. Just that was, like, it's weird, wild stuff would it's the jungle. there. It was, it's yeah, the jungle it was absolutely in there. The jungle. People would listen to, to sports talk radio without headphones on the shitter in there. That's hilarious. Yeah, so, like, I, I remember I was sitting there one day, and I just heard, like, people calling in to WIP and stuff. I'm like, are you serious right now? <laughs> Hey Angelo! Hey, first time, long time. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't need that. That Carson Wentz guy, he's a bum. He's a bum. Anyways, a I'll bum. hang up and listen, flush. <laughs> I can't think of a per- more perfect WIP interaction than that one right there. Uh, oh man. Well, you know, I, I tried to listen to Philly sports talk the other day, and I just could not bring myself to do it. It was, I was like, maybe it's slightly better than Nashville's climate is. No. Not at all. Oh, no. no, I don't think there's a single redeeming one out there. There was a lady who called in and, like, was apparently a regular caller, and her whole gimmick is she screams. And I was like, man, people like listening to this? That's crazy. Oh, my God. People listen to anything. (laughs) Philly Sports Talk Radio is a complete shit show. Everybody's a lunatic on it. And... Also, if they're not talking birds, it's pretty much not happening. They're not talking about really anything else. That's just, they will find any excuse to talk about the Eagles. I liked, I was, so my new job, and I say new, like I haven't been there a year and a half. uh, There's a shuttle that I take. And sometimes the guys will be like listening to radio, the guys who are driving it. And the one day the guy was listening to WIP and they were in a very flyperbole fashion. They were ranking like annoying television characters and this was a day, I believe, the Flyers, Sixers, both the Flyers and Sixers were playing. And I think this was when the Braves were in the World Series or something. It, it really felt like there were so many sports opportunities to talk about and they were ranking TV characters. So, you know, in a, a way I can respect that because this is fly perbly and we're certainly going to talk about some non-hockey stuff. But we are going to get to the hockey stuff that is very relevant. Yeah, you have that as the first thing on the show notes here, but I think... <laughs> we've we've detoured a little bit already well i i don't really want to even get into it but i might as well get into it on the topic of toilets and flushing and just shittiness philadelphia flyers my first my first note it literally says flyers bad (laughs) in all caps for the bad what more can you say and you can't say anymore they're just i have 
made every excuse for this team in the past month, then, you know, the nerds were right. The nerds were right. These guys stink. The nerds were 100% right. I'm sorry for doubting the nerds. I'll never doubt them again. But, like, you know, injuries, excuses, like, there were plenty of excuses to be made. And yet again, as is the case for, I don't know, maybe the last five seasons or so, my breaking point came with a loss to the New Jersey Devils. Because the Devils, like the past few years, suck. But the Flyers still got whooped by them. And that was what broke me. That broke me. I'd, I'd have to agree with you, except I, I think I've just been broken for a long time and haven't really come to grips with it. It's it's a processing state, right? You, you don't immediately fully understand grief. You have to go through all of the phases of it. <laughs> And I am I am moving through them slowly but surely. We started the year off all the way at the cocky side of the, you know, Philly sports fan meter. And now we are heading over to distraught very rapidly. Flyers have lost seven games in a row and their next two games are against, uh, I don't know if this is in order, but the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Colorado Avalanche. May God have mercy on us. Back-to-back games with the Lightning and the Avalanche. The Lightning, who they have played for the last two weeks. This is the third week in a row with a Tampa Bay Lightning game. And I almost lost my mind on the forecast having to talk about this team again. It felt like last season where they're just playing the same teams over and over. I Why the Lightning? Why are they playing the Lightning so much? It's terrible. The NHL noted expert at scheduling schedules a bunch of games in a row for the Flyers against tough competition, then gives them like half a week off before they play another team. It really, it's it, it just a hellacious November for this team. And then this back-to-back, and then it's, you know, a somewhat average schedule. And frankly, if they don't make it out of this month with uh, more points than last month, I will be very, very disturbed. And then I'll be calling for the team to be blown up. And I'm not that far off already. I, I don't think the team should be blown up. I think that's extreme. But I am not really going to argue with you if you are saying they should be blown up because I don't have an argument against it. I've been podcasting about this team forever at this point, And... They are just, you know, at one point they were literally the most mediocre team in sports, and that continues to be the case right now. They just look bad, and they do have a lot of injuries. They have a lot of shitty bottom six talent, but the talent at the top isn't doing what they need to do, and really the only guys that are doing what they need to do are the goaltenders, and they're not getting any support at all. Yeah, that's kind of where... I find this interesting because on one hand, I do think that the Flyers, even when they are fully healthy, just lack the overall talent to be a great team. I think they can be a solid to good team, but they will never truly coalesce at this point from my perspective into one of those, okay, you're a top one to two team in the division and looked at as a legit Stanley Cup threat upon entry to the playoffs now it's sort of like one of those teams where, all right, best case scenario, you get into the playoffs, and if you're hot and everything falls the right way, you make a conference finals appearance or maybe a Stanley Cup final appearance. And I don't think that's a smart way to build a team, um, particularly when it comes to... I've I've suffered under the Nashville Predators style of building a team for so long, which is... We're relying on defense and goaltending, the two most variable things in hockey 
to propel us to Stanley Cup Finals. We need our goaltender to get hot in order for us to go anywhere, and this is the way that we are going to build a team. That's not something that you can expect to create a replicable path to a Stanley Cup Final or to a championship. You need that high-end talent, those game-breaking players, and I know it's a lot easier said than done to draft them, but if you look at the teams that have won Stanley Cups over the past decade and a half or so, it's pretty much all teams that have been back there multiple times, have made multiple deep runs into the postseason within that same exact span. It's not a sort of team where they they were built in a way where it just kind of fell the right way for them in one postseason run. Now, that's not true of the St. Louis Blues. They're an exception. But the rest of them, the Kings, the Blackhawks, the Penguins, these are all teams that made repeat appearances, the Boston Bruins, and they've all had those core pieces intact for a really long time that were high-end players for that entire window. I'd say the Flyers' closest comparison of that group is the Kings, and they just don't have the same game-breaking players that the Kings had back then. They're not as well-coached either. So it sort of just looks like, what's the path to winning a Stanley Cup here? Because that should always be the ultimate goal. I think they have a path to making the playoffs, you know, for the next two years or three years or something like that. But what's the path to the Stanley Cup? It's Hope your goaltender gets hot. Hope everybody plays better than you'd expect them to play. Because true talent-wise, we're seeing right now, this team is missing players that should not be completely breaking them apart. I mean, it's not great that they're missing the 2C. It's not great that they're missing their number one defenseman. It's not great that they're missing a couple of nice contributors to the middle or bottom six in uh, Wade Allison and Tanner Lazinski. But those aren't guys where you take them away from the team and they should instantly be a bottom five to 10 team in the NHL. And right now they're playing like a bottom five team in the NHL, which is unreal. It's unreal. They're playing like absolute dog shit right now. And that's not what I expected because as you said, they, they certainly have the talent to be more of a middle of the road to, you know, maybe a B plus team. Right. But they are just not playing that way. And the, you know, it sucks Ryan Ellis hasn't has barely played, right? But five of their starting defensemen are healthy. This you should be able to make it and win more games than they've won in the past month with your five starting defensemen healthy. And I mean and Hayes, yeah, Hayes is not a game breaker. Although it is disturbing that they've had so little center depth outside of him that Derek Broussard, who doesn't even want to play center has been your second line center for most of the season to this point. And it's just a bunch of like little disturbing things have really built up. And all of a sudden it is a clusterfuck. It's a big problem. The basement is flooded and people are panicking. Oh God, help me get a plumber. I I just don't know what the solution is. And I love that Chuck Fletcher came out the other day and had just a very pointless, all is fine press conference and, and tried to assuage fears. And he did not assuage any fears at all. No, it was, I understood what he was trying to do, but it, it ultimately didn't really help anything. It, it was just going through the motions, making sure that he had contact with the media because he hadn't for a little bit, but I don't know. We might we might see a change in the near future here. I don't understand how they could go without making some sort of change, whether that's trade a player or fire an assistant or the head coach. They got to do something soon because I think looking at this season, and I know uh, they said this on 
BSH Radio the other day. But this is like last year where this team is prone to spiraling out of control. And right now they're being held intact by two things, uh, the goaltending and the penalty kill, which like the penalty kill hasn't even been outstanding. It's just been fine. But the goaltending has been excellent, uh, despite what some of the goals allowed numbers would say. The goaltending has been quite good. I think anybody who's been watching the games could tell you that. What are we going to do if Martin Jones has a couple bad games in a row and Carter Hart isn't lights out like back to back to back? Then this prospective nine game losing streak suddenly turns into a 14 or 15 game losing streak. It could happen or you lose, you know, 14 out of 16 or something like that. It's very possible that this team just completely unravels like they did last year. And while they have changed the makeup of the room somewhat, I don't know that changing the leadership in the room really helps all that much when you're just doing everything wrong and the coaches are sort of reinforcing the bad habits or the adjustments they're making aren't exactly making anything better. Yeah, and I I think there's one very obvious change that this team should make. And I think people have been calling for this change for a while at this point. And it's a key member of the ass crew. And it's really the main reason I, I named the assistants, the ass crew on this. And that's Michel Terrien or French Mike, as apparently Elaine Vigneault calls him. But Michel Terrien is, he's just been an abysmal power play coach for this team. And Chuck Fletcher came out in his pointless press conference and said that the power play hasn't been good since 2014-15. And we did look at the numbers, and that is the case. They are ranked 20... Well, they were ranked 28th this year earlier this week. I don't know if it's even lower after the Rangers game, but it's not good. And back in 2014-15, they were third in the NHL. They were 23.4%, and they were behind Detroit and Washington. And... It's really kind of fluctuated ever since, but it mostly just been going down. Uh, 11th and 15th, 16th, 14th, 15th, 23rd, 14th, and 18th. So it hasn't really been good in a while at this point, and it just seems like it's hitting rock bottom at this point. And this, having success on the power play would have been a true game changer in many games this season. They... That is the difference between points gained and points, you know, not gained at this point. And Terry just has not made any good adjustments with the talent he has. And he's also a guy that we had fears about even when he was hired in the first place. And I appreciate from a management standpoint, Chuck Fletcher and Elaine Vigneault coming out and saying, no, 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 blame me. Don't blame the assistant coaches. Blame me. I'm the guy to blame. And yeah, you are. But this guy really sucks, and I don't really understand why we're making excuses for him and not going out and seeking alternate solutions, because the power play's a mess. It is just listless. They are not, they have no strategy out there, which is crazy considering some of the talent that they have out there. I really don't understand why they're hanging on to this and why they haven't made a more substantial change. Some of it has to do with the way that they're entering the zone. I don't think that this is a team that feels comfortable with controlled entry anymore. You see that at even strength. They dump the puck like crazy. And it's not even the type of competitive chip and charge, get in on the forecheck, win a puck battle sort of thing that you would like to see from them. That's sort of what the Carolina Hurricanes execute. And again, citing Mr. Smartman Charlie O'Connor kind of pointed this out. 
they were most successful the flyers were at five on five when they were holding the opposing team to a lot of dump ins too it's basically just all right nobody's going to be effective on entries and it's just about who wants it more now we're in a situation where they're dumping it on the power play and that's unacceptable how can you dump it on the power play? I understand that because you have the man advantage, you think that you should win every single forechecking battle, but why would you willingly give the puck away when you have more control over it and an extra person that you can make that pass to when you're working on an entry? You see when they're coming out of the zone, the first pass is going to be good, but the second pass rarely is accurate. There's miscommunication all over the damn place. People just not ready for it, not expecting it. They're expecting the dump in and then to go and retrieve it. And frankly, this is a team where the personnel on it aren't good enough at winning puck battles at this point in time to make me think that that's even the right system to be running with them. They have skilled forwards. They have forwards who can execute when they're comfortable. Controlled entries. I mean, Oscar Lindblom is playing middle six, third line, sometimes fourth line minutes mostly third line minutes though and he's a guy who can do that so this team has the horses to do that and they're just not doing it and then the power play suffers as a result they get chunked out of the zone a ton and you see too when they're working on entries there's a lot of stationary entries where it's just guys kind of waiting around for the puck to get to them there's not a lot of dynamic movement going on and I think when they're established in the zone, they do okay. The The biggest issue facing them there right now is that Ryan Ellis is missing and Keith Yandel has turned back into a pumpkin. Oh, he really has. They don't really have somebody at the point that they can trust truly. And then in terms of someone in the bumper spot, nobody is finishing right now. So, I mean, your typical candidates for that would be like Travis Konechny and probably Sean Couturier and neither of them are seeing too much success. Couturier has had a rough stretch of games too, which is how you know shit's dire. He really has. And it's, it's bad when Mr. Chestnut, he's playing checkers right now. And it's very distressing to me. It's, he has not looked good. And like, yeah, that's when, you know, shit's really bad. Like I don't believe my eyes when I see Sean Couturier playing poorly. And that really says how badly everything is going for this team. And it, it drives me nuts with this dump and chase bullshit. It, it's just like, I, clearly that's a coaching issue where Elaine Vigneault has to step in there and adjust that. I mean, it's a confidence issue now. They're starting to lose confidence after they had a pretty cocky start. The cocky and distraught meter also applies to the Flyers. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, on the confidence end of things, you can just see it everywhere. This doesn't just extend to the power play. This is very much a team where... They ride very high or they ride very low. There's not much of an in-between, and specifically that extends to some of the more talented young players. I think Travis Konechny, when he's on, he's trying stuff, and we're not seeing that. He's trying to be very fundamental and not get too crazy out there with the stick-handling moves or something like that. Like You remember when he pulled off some crazy shit probably once every five games? It wasn't even his big breakout season. It was the year before that where he had like 47 points and he would just try something nuts once a game. He looked like he was having fun out there, even if they were losing, even if the rest of the team kind of looked miserable. He had that Wade Allison sort of element around him. Now it's like he he goes out there, he puts shots on goal sometimes, but he, he doesn't really try shit. And that 
is definitely an outward sign of I'm not feeling confident. And I think the most glaring one is when Ivan Provorov isn't feeling confident, he, between the, I'm going to back off of a player or I'm going to step up on a player, he's going to pick to back off of them every single time. And we saw that the other night when he got walked by, what was his name on the Rangers? Oh, was this I the, don't even the Mark Donk very fake name? Yes. Yeah. I got to look it up. I'll look it up. But it was, yeah, the, the Rangers and the Devils combined have an entire team of fake names right now. And I hate them. Yeah, but like Provorov got walked. And I mean, that's supposed to be the team's second best defenseman and one of like the top five players. And he got walked by a fourth liner that doesn't exactly bode too well. And this isn't just a random occurrence. He he very much is a guy who is only good when he's going to be paired with a good partner. And I just don't know. This is kind of where I start to question, like, are we severely overrating the talent on this team at this point? Because I know that Travis Sanheim, by the numbers, grades out as like a decent to good second pair defenseman. And like Rasmus Ristolainen, you know, is fine. He's a third pair defenseman, sometimes second pair defenseman, depending upon who you put him with. But they're missing one defender. And their defense is among the worst in the league. So that's that's kind of a glaring issue there. Is Travis Sandheim actually a second pair defender? Or is he a guy who sort of benefits from the way that analytics work? And his deficiencies and shortcomings aren't necessarily well encapsulated within models. Is sort of like one of those things that I'm starting to apply to the rest of the team. Where it's like, are these guys actually as good as we think they are? Or are we basing our opinions off of the best that we've seen of them, even when the best isn't all that recent anymore? It's an it's a good question. It's a valid question, and I hate that we are are asking that right now. I mean, if you look at what Jake Voracek's doing in Columbus, maybe maybe that helps like show that it, maybe it's a system issue right now. I'm not really sure. Uh, for the record, the guy that we were talking about was Dryden Hunt. That's not a real person. No. Not a real person, not a real name, and Ivan Provorov shouldn't be getting walked by Dryden Hunt. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's a fair assessment there. <laughs> but, like, this entire team, we know they're better than this. We know, I, I maybe we've overrated some of their talent, right? But they, I don't think these guys can be that bad based on what I've seen from them in the past, but I don't know. Like, they, they lose a little bit of confidence, they lose a little bit of steam, and they're all of a sudden just completely dead in the water. Yeah, like, here's my thing is now I'm sort of getting to the point where it's like, all right, so I don't think that they're a bottom five team in the league, true talent. I don't think they're a 70 point team, true talent. I think anybody who thinks that is just, you know, that's just not right. If you look at the players on this roster, they should be better than that. But at the same time, I don't think that they're a top tier team true talent or even a like B plus team true talent wise either. I think they're a team. Where realistically, you look at it and you say, okay, if they're executing a system really well and they're playing to the peak of their abilities, they are a second round playoff team. And that, to me, is just not acceptable. No, it's extremely mediocre. It is aiming for mediocrity. Yeah, like we've we've gone through this whole painful rebuild with Ron Hextall where the team had to tear it all down and it stunk. But they didn't actually tear it all the way down. They never did that. They never tanked for the very top of the draft. 
and they sort of just sat in limbo and wasted the primes of Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek, who were those game-breaking players at one point, which is why I sort of look back on that era with frustration because I'm like, all right, honestly, what they probably should have done back then, I know that they realistically could not have taken the speedy approach to everything they had on that roster just due to like buyout money and everything like that. But there would have been faster ways to get rid of some of those players. And they sort of just sat on their hands. Now I'm looking at it as this team doesn't really have a game-breaking player that you need to rush to build around at this point. Like, it's the twilight of Claude Giroux's career as a top-line player. Sean Couturier is really good, but I don't think he's a game-breaker. I think he's just a solid 1C. And I don't know that he's at the peak of his abilities right now. Even if you look at Boston, right, if you look at Boston, for instance, like Sean Couturier's most comparable player is Patrice Bergeron. And Boston is very successful because of Patrice Bergeron, but he's not the game breaker on that team. He's got game breakers on his wings in Pasternak and and Marchand. They're both game breakers. Like Marchand, Marchand, I wouldn't even consider like a total game breaking player as much as just a... He makes that line go because he's an effort guy and he drives play. Hey, that dude pots points, though. I, I sleep does. on Marshan a lot, and <laughs> Marshan is my my fantasy hockey ace in the hole every year because he's good. I he, always he draft Marshan after nobody wants him because he's an asshole, and I get a ton of points from that guy. He is great. So, like, but the thing is, like, Bergeron's your your steady guy, right? And yeah. that's Couturier, but we don't have a Pasternak and we don't have a Marshan. Yeah, and I don't think you can expect to pluck a David Pasternak from the range that Ron Hextall was drafting at unless you get really lucky. I know David Pasternak was drafted later in the first round. Do not at me, people. I know. Trust me. I've spent plenty of time looking at Wikipedia pages and wondering what could have been. But yeah, like your best shot of getting the best talent is going to be at the top of the draft. I forget what the exact number is, but the difference between a first round pick to a second round pick in terms of likelihood of that player being an NHL player is astronomical. And then the likelihood of second round to third round, also astronomical. Uh, I think I wrote something a while back, maybe advocating that NHL teams would be better off trading away all of their picks that were not first and second round picks if they were looking to compete. But anyways, that's for another time. Yeah, like, that's why I'm sort of weighing now, should the Flyers just go full nuclear option? Because this year's draft and next year's draft are going to have some really great talent at the top. Specifically this year, uh, you have Brad Lambert and Shane Wright and then Matthew Savoie, who are all sort of in contention for those top spots. I think Shane Wright is the clear number one guy, but Brad Lambert is awesome too. And then next year, you have Connor Bedard, who's putting up McDavid numbers right now, and Matvey Michkov, who looks like the next Russian superstar, who are going to be going 1-2, and it's basically a lock right now. So if you're going to bottom out and just sell and get first-round picks and try for top-end talent, I think this is the time to do it. I just don't know whether or not the Flyers are going to be willing to do that. Right, and I don't think they're going to be willing to do that, especially after Chuck Fletcher really worked so hard to rework this. And I know Comcast has always been notoriously, well, you know, 
people will say that Comcast does not give a shit about the Flyers, and they might be right for all I know, but they, I don't know, in in the past they haven't exactly wanted the Flyers to just tank out and become the Buffalo Sabres for a couple years to get a high draft pick, but I do agree with you that that's really where your game changer is going to have to come from, because unfortunately... While in the past Philadelphia, well, no, I'm not going to get into that and say the Philadelphia used to be our place free agents wanted to come because we usually just got the, the old washed up guys who were names like five years ago, but it's not, unfortunately the Philadelphia Flyers, while a respected hockey organization are still not going to be a marquee name for a free agent. Who's looking to make a a splash. I'm essentially thinking of Artemi Panarin who. Panarin was like, I want to go somewhere that my, you know, somewhere glitzy. And he's like, well, he pretty much had narrowed it down to New York or what were the other other options? Florida. Florida. Yeah. And, you know, he he chose the Rangers and the Rangers really friggin lucked out on that. And I'm still furious about it, but it is what it is. And unfortunately, I don't think the Flyers are going to get, well, you know, and a Panarin becomes a free agent only once in a blue moon. It's very rare that those guys don't get locked down because hockey is not like the NBA where guys will, you know, just decide, well, my option's up and I'm going to go shop myself because I just want to go where the hell I want to go. And I'll make a, I'm specifically thinking of LeBron making his, his series of super teams, but that's not really something that happens in the NHL. These guys lock themselves down early looking at Connor McDavid, for instance, who really could be making 20 mil if what I don't know if that's the what's the upper limit for a player on a a annual contract I am unsure I think it's like I want to say 12 million to 14 million something in that range he's he's making around it but he's not making it you know what I mean he's not whatever he he's underpaid he's not making (laughs) enough he's not making enough because like I just like Connor McDavid could be anywhere he wants, but he decided to lock himself down in Edmonton for the rest of time. And His players are dumb and loyal. <laughs> they're dumb and loyal. And very rarely do you have Panarin out there who is this just hot shot free agent that you can lock down. It's, it just doesn't happen as often in the NHL. And I think you think of Tavares a few years ago as the other big example of that. And Really, the draft is where you're going to have to get these guys. And you really, the Flyers got a top two pick one time, and they really got the worst fucking possible outcome of that. So I think we're just cursed. Good night and good hockey. Let's talk about Guy Fieri. (laughs) Yeah. I, here's like where I'm at right now is just sort of when you're building a team, you should be drafting for the foundation, the guys that are actually going to propel the team, and trade should be used. If you're, if you're looking to build an actual Stanley Cup contender, mostly just in the supplementary sense, you're not bringing in guys to lead the team because if you're acquiring them in a trade, you're most likely going to have to give up assets that are worth more than the player themselves. This applies to free agency too, obviously, because you're going to have to overpay on whatever contract you give out. You can make shrewd free agent signings. You can make smart trades, obviously, but I think those are more the exception to the rule. Drafting is always going to be where you're going to build a team in the modern league just because you can't throw money around like crazy like you used to be able to. You can't build that 2004 Flyers team that just had like a bunch of, you know, guys who were towards the end of their career, but still pretty good players just looking to win another Stanley Cup or win a Stanley Cup in Philadelphia. I don't 
that just that strategy doesn't exist anymore. It's not feasible. And looking at the core of this team, the drafted core of this team, and the guys who are not making like a shitload of money, but they're making money, who are ostensibly your good contracts, you look at them and you go, okay, Travis Konechny, now we're pretty surely like solid that he is a second line winger. And that's fine. He's getting paid around what a second line winger should make. But it looks more and more like that 70 something point outburst he was having was a pretty sizable outlier. And he's going to be a 40 something to 50 something point player for the majority of his career. He might have another scoring outburst here and there, but who knows? Cool. Oscar Lindblom had like a month and a half long stretch before he unfortunately contracted cancer where he looked like he was going to be a second line player. Now he looks like an okay third line player and that sucks, but that's the reality of the situation. And, and the list just keeps going. Like you look at these players and you go, all right, we've seen them play up to much better potential and be better players, but for how long? And how long has it been since we've seen that is kind of what I'm having to digest a little bit now, because if we're being realistic here, the Flyers outside of a six week stretch in that 2019, 2020 season have been decidedly mediocre, you know, since the 2012 team. Yeah. And they haven't deviated much from that besides that. And even the 2012 team, which is much celebrated because it was a lot of fun, that team still lost in the second round of the playoffs. That was not a super successful team in the Yeah, in the but I think you could point to that one and be like, that team is really talented. Sure, that team was really talented, but I don't know. I'm still annoyed at that team because I thought that the iteration that Paul Holmgren blew up before that was more talented and had a much more substantial chance to make a run for a Stanley Cup. We we kind of, you know, I, I totally understand the trades they made, right? And I've been over this many times, but this 2012 team is so celebrated and so beloved, but that team was not going to win a cup. It's that no. simple. They were not going to win a cup. It's in the but same the te- situation. The, the iteration before that could have won a cup. They're in the same situation as the current Flyers in a way in that, I don't think that the core pieces of that team with the way that the salary was structured at the time were going to get it done in time. Uh, And when they were taking cracks at the playoffs, it was basically like, all right, we need our goalie to get hot. And if our goalie's not hot, then we're boned. And that's, that's the way that a lot of these teams that are making the postseason operate is it's not, we are building with the vision of winning a Stanley cup in mind. It's let's just make the playoffs and hope things work out from there. And that's sort of where the Flyers sit right now is they're a let's make the playoffs and hope things go right. And that's their path to winning a Stanley Cup in the best case scenario. And I just don't think that the way that Ron Hextall and then the way that Chuck Fletcher subsequently have built the roster is intelligent. It just doesn't build towards that vision of winning a championship. It's more of just, again, that identity of let's try and be deep enough and you know, have enough like middle six to top six talent on this roster to where we make the playoffs and things go the right way. We can make a conference final or a Stanley Cup final appearance. I don't think they're looking at it as we want to win 
or they obviously want to win a Stanley Cup. Nobody doesn't want to win a Stanley Cup, but I don't know that they're going into it with the vision in mind subconsciously of we are building with the ultimate goal of we want to win a championship and we want to make it back there. It's it's more of just a let's build a team that's competitive. And I don't think that that's really viable when you're trying to win a Stanley Cup because as we saw with the Lightning, sometimes you can be a competitive team or even a great team and it takes eight years of taking cracks at it in the playoffs before you actually get something done. So if you're just a solid team and you're not built to last, your window is a lot shorter and you've got to get luckier. And there there are just too many variables in play here for me to go, this team is absolutely worth keeping together and they have to stay the course through all these injuries until everybody comes back to see what they have. I don't think that's a fair assessment at this point because if they really were a team that true talent-wise was worth waiting on for that, I think they'd be doing better than they are right now. And coaching is obviously a huge part of it, but coaching can only be so bad in this league to where you got to just take a, a serious look and be like, okay, again, this team was really good for six weeks and everything outside of that has just been decent to worse. So what's the real thing? The larger sample size or the sample size that we would really like to believe is what the team is? We don't know. But that's the decision that's coming up now is what's real and what's not. Do we blow it up or do we not? The only thing that I can't handle seeing again, and I'm, I'm sorry, I've been like rambling, but not is right. if they half in, half out with a rebuild again, I'm going to lose my shit because <laughs> we went through seven years of that. And this team should be a lot easier to tear down than the one that Paul Holmgren handed off to Ron Hextall. In, in summation, hire Eric Tolsky to be the GM. Thanks. <laughs> Bring him home. Bring him home. Yeah, it, it's so frustrating. It is. It, I mean, it, we've just been dealing with this for a decade plus at this point of this kind of Flyers hockey. And the team I was talking about, right? The team that the last time I really felt like it was a team that could have gone to the cup and been there was a team that was mostly drafted and like specifically Richards and Carter were your big guns and Claude Giroux. And they were mostly acquired through the draft. They were guys that were homegrown and they got that talent and the, that was their, their game changers. And then the other guy, the big piece they added, Danny Briere. Danny Briere was a substantial free agent move that, and really, if you want to say like, what was the last time a big free agent chose Philadelphia. I mean, Danny Briere is probably your, your example right there. Danny Briere, who it was, it was a pretty like risky signing at the time. And certainly given the end of his career, you can see where the, the risk really comes from. But Danny Briere really in the short term for that team and the playoff performances paid off drastically. But you know, you, as I was saying before, you don't really see that kind of talent out there in the free agent market, those kind of game changers, and they're not usually available because they get locked down early and that's how they like it. So I don't know, but I think the biggest question right now is regarding Big Al himself, Elaine Vigneault. Do you think Elaine Vigneault should stay on and get a few more weeks to work this out? Or do you shit can him right now? I would say... There's no sense in chucking because if they if they fire if they fire AV 
I think you're not going to see... Because if they fire AV, they're cleaning house, right? They're not going to keep Terry and Yo on board. Those are his guys. If he's gone, they're gone. So I don't know that we see an interim coach. I think they will have somebody in mind if they're going to be firing him. So I don't think there's any sense in firing him before the Avalanche and Lightning games just because you'd be chucking whoever the new head coach was into the fire. And I don't think that's the right foot to start off on. So after those two games, they have some time off before they play the Devils again. So get a couple practices in, get familiar with all of the players. I think that's the time where if you're going to shit can AV, wait until the losing streak is, you know, at nine games or just until after the final game of that back-to-back. And then after that, off with his head, put somebody else in and give them that four-day break to get familiar with the team, get comfortable and get off to a running start because this is a team that, I mean, as much as I don't know that they're really anything above a mid-level talent team, they should be beating the fucking New Jersey Devils. They should be it's beating the Devils. As simple they as that. They should be more competitive against the Rangers. I mean, it, both those games were just supremely disappointing. And I, again, I know it was a tough month, but they should be, their compete level should be higher these guys should be in these games more than they are. I don't think, I think Vigneault is getting, I don't know. I, I want to say at least a couple more weeks, but. Uh, oh, he probably will. Don't get I, me wrong. I think he's getting the rest of the season, frankly, if I'm being totally honest. I think, I know they've been reluctant to do this, but I think an assistant has to go soon, if especially if things continue. And how sad is it that we are just talking and assuming that it's going to be a nine game losing streak because they're playing back to back Stanley Cup hopefuls like basically the expected these two teams are probably expected to play each other in the stanley cup final it's just how anticipated they are and how good they are i mean the lightning still whooped the flyers without their two best players without kucherov or point and it's it's wild it's wild to say i i really don't you know it really feels like if the season's going to be saved they they're going to have to get a lot of points over the next month they're going to have to get healthy and they seem like they're getting a little healthier, but not quickly enough. And man, it's just been what a it's just brutal that it's it it ended up this way after that first like two week period where it actually seemed hopeful and fun again. This this team is not in a position where doing a teardown rapidly is completely impossible. So I think there's more hope here than I felt like coming into the Ron Hextall area where it's like the draft prospect cupboard is completely bare. We have no picks. We're dealing with a shitload of buyout money. Vinny LeCavalier. Andrew McDonald, Vinny LeCavalier, like all of these awful, completely unredeemable contracts. Now, Kevin Hayes' contract might become pretty hard to move in the near future here. And that Ryan Ellis contract, depending upon his health, might be a problem too. But... I mean, you still got some nice young pieces on this team. Sean Couturier is locked up for the long term. And I think, you know, beyond this kind of not great stretch of play he's had for the past week or two here, he's a he's a really good player and is your 1C for the foreseeable future. Um, Joel Farabee is a nice piece. Morgan Frost has actually looked pretty good. He's been one of like the few fun things about the Flyers for the past few games here. So there are things to work with. It's just like... We're staring down 
another season where we walk out of it and go, well, if they had been healthy, then maybe they would have been a pretty good team. And it's like, how many times have we said that at this point? How many right, times right. can we keep using, keep using that excuse and washing away the fact that the team, the the players who are there should be performing better even without the players who are injured. Like, Ryan Ellis missing should not render Ivan Provorov like a mediocre to not not mediocre, like bad second pair defenseman playing on the top pair. And I understand he was playing with Nick Sealer, but like that shouldn't happen. He's better than that. Or at least we think he's better than that, but maybe he actually isn't. Maybe we're Seth Jonesing ourselves here. Ivan Provorov should be elevating his partner, much like yes. Ryan Ellis elevated Ivan Provorov. And I think we've seen enough evidence in the past few years to really show that, you know, I, I love Ivan Provorov, hardworking guy. He's definitely got a lot of talent, but he needs a partner to elevate him. He is not a number one. He is a number two at best, and he cannot carry a guy and be a true number one. He can't even elevate. That's my thing. Is like He can't. He can't. It'd be one thing if he could even elevate like a decent partner. But that's not what he does. He's reliant upon the other partner. Specifically, they need to be somebody who's good at executing breakouts. He's not very good at that. And I think that's one of the things that really hurts him as a player. It's like that and his skating is just not very dynamic. That that kills him. But yeah, like that's that's one area where you look at it and you go, even with Ryan Ellis gone, that is not an excuse for Ivan Provorov to be this bad. And same thing with, I understand that Travis Sanheim is playing with Rasmus Ristolainen, who again, probably a gigantic anchor. Like he had that fun stretch where he looked good for a little bit. Now he's kind of regressed back to the mean. He's by no means been the issue with this team, but he he hasn't looked like a good second pair defenseman. And neither is Sanheim. And I don't want to put the load on Sanheim of like he should be able to carry a player he's with. But if he's a dude who's driving play right and he's a legit second pair defenseman who can elevate a partner then they should at least be somewhere close to breaking even and we haven't seen that and he gets victimized so often on defensive zone breakdowns that i don't i don't know that the offensive stuff completely makes up for it again i think travis sandheim is a fine second pair defenseman and he catches a lot of crap for no reason but that's just kind of where we're having to assess now. And the coaching, the coaching change too, like it might help, but who knows? Maybe it won't. Maybe a- AV is not the entire problem. I think the team surely can't get that much worse under a different coach, but I don't know. Do they instantly turn into a legitimate Stanley Cup contender under a different coach? Or are they just a bubble playoff team like we saw under Dave Haxtell for what was it? Five years Oh, yeah. Well, it certainly felt like five years if it wasn't five whole years. And I, I by the way, on a, the side note on Hack, I just love that Seattle fans absolutely hate his guts already. So at least one area I, I feel justified for for feeling like, OK, this guy did suck because you see certain other guys go away and, and do well. And you're like, holy crap, like Voracek's been crushing it with Columbus and I'm happy for him, but I'm also kind of like, oh, come on, dude. And then like Goss Despair, again, getting rid of Goss Despair, I think he needed to change the scenery big time. But like seeing Goss Despair put up so many points with the Coyotes, it's just like, it's frustrating. The ghost thing doesn't bug me as much because 
It's like, all right, he's getting power play one time and a lot of ice time on a bad team where it doesn't matter how much he gets scored on. People are just looking at the points. They aren't watching him play. And they're like, all right, he's got a lot of points, so therefore he must be good again. And it's like, yeah, uh, I mean, y'all also like watched him last year where he was putting up a decent amount of points. Not not this pace, but he was putting up a decent amount of points and people were still going crazy and hating him. And this is not to say Shane Gossesbury is an irredeemably terrible player or something like that, but he's not strong I think the people who were like, Ghost is back the moment we traded him away and we were fools forever doing this, like, give your head a shake, man. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, I I don't feel that way. I, it's just like, you know, it's it's just, it's all always frustrating to see guys do well when they, they leave your favorite squad, but I don't know. The whole thing's frustrating. This has just been such an upsetting past month of hockey. I went to, I think, two games in that span. So I think I'm just done for the season. I just can't go to any more. Apparently, I'm just terrible luck. No, this team's just bad. And they're playing like shit. And I, I, it just sucks. It sucks to watch bad hockey. It sucks to see the orange and black struggle. And it, it sucks to see this fan base just, you know, be miserable all day, every day on social media. And there's not much you can do to really fight against it because it's just, you know, they're right to be miserable. They're right to be pissed off because they're just, this is shitty hockey. It's bad hockey to watch. It stinks because the people who have just been incessant pessimists through this whole thing and unbearably negative, even when they didn't really have a true reason to be, are now proven right. And that sucks. Like, it just really stinks that the Flyers have gone and proven at least so far this season, a lot of the people who make Flyers Twitter and just sort of being a Flyers fan on the internet, pretty unbearable, correct. That that annoys me, but fair play to them. I guess they know something that we don't. <laughs> it's just not a good way to go through life. It really isn't. But again, you have every right to be pissed off this team. I don't know. It's just, I guess we're going to see the next two games are going to be real bad. And then we're, I feel like we're going to have to survive that storm and then we're going to truly get the evaluation on if it's time to just scrap it all, toss it into the sun and call it a season. Yeah, well, we'll know probably by the next time we do this show. So hooray. Woo. You want to talk about TV stuff now? Yeah. So I specifically wanted to talk about 30 for 30. So I have been working from home quite a bit over the past year and a half. I, I might be back in the office a little bit, but I am still at home three days a week. And when I'm home, I like to have TV on in the background. And lately I've been watching a lot of 30 for 30s, especially because I ended up signing up for ESPN Plus for all the the hockey uh, coverage that is out there now. And one of the things is, you know, for good reason, because ESPN didn't have any NHL rights or anything. So they really kind of ignored the NHL for a while. And not a lot of the 30 for thirties are, are hockey based. And what I'm really hoping is now with this increased focus on hockey, welcoming hockey back that we're going to start to see some more hockey 30 for thirties. I mean, there's only a handful of them. Uh, the Gretzky one I watched, which was pretty interesting. I just, there's so many topics to, to really touch on. And I kind of wanted to discuss real quick, just, you know, maybe a few topics that they could, they could make stories about that, you know, I, I, that I would like to see out there. And 
the first one I really thought of, and this is not going to be a surprise to anybody who listens to the show regularly, is Eric Lindros. I think Eric Lindros has a, a fascinating story. These high highs, these low lows, the, the whole drama around his initial trade and the Nordiques and the Rangers and the Flyers, all of that. And then his scare where he almost died and then the concussions. I mean, this is just such an epic story. And I would love to see that 30 for 30 treatment given to Eric Lindros. I'd agree. He would be one of the first players on my list. I love 30 for 30, by the way. It's on my very lofty bucket list to participate in working on a 30 for 30. But Daryl Strawberry and Doc uh, Gooden both have a 30 for 30 about the two of them where it's like their struggles with addiction and how they were these meteoric talents that rise all the way to the top and then come crashing down. And I think, while not an exact parallel, you can definitely see how the Lindros saga, this is an immensely talented kid. You go through the whole thing with the mess at the draft and the trade and the Rangers and the Flyers fighting over the trade and then his parents and how they interacted with Bobby Clark and there's just so much to work with there on a human interest side of things compared to basically every other boring ass hockey player. (laughs) Right. And not only do you have all that conflict, but also you have such a great ending to that where Paul Holmgren brings him back into the fold at the end. And now Eric Lindros is a happy member of the Flyers community. It was so great seeing him at the recent alumni game. So you've, you've got a full circle story right here. It's really just a a fantastic tale. And I would love to see it get that full 30 for 30 treatment. Yeah. I'd say just reading down the list here, I'm going to just pick out because we are Probably we still we still have something on the docket here. Yeah, I kind of wanted to run run through most of the names here, and I have one that I wanted to add. I'm going to read a few, and then you read a few. So okay, sure. A a few of the ones, and I'm just going to add in the one that I forgot here, which is a glaring omission. But Yarmir Yager is a fascinating tale. In you know between leaving America at the height of his career. And going to play in the KHL, playing in the KHL, and then making his triumphant return to America on his chief rival. Like, it's unbelievable story. And the gambling, and I mean, Yager's just the best. Playing and for still... his own team? <laughs> yeah. He's still playing. He's still playing. He's old as shit. It's fantastic. So, Yager's an obvious one. I think Bobby Clark is a fascinating topic. Rod the Bod, who's now coaching and a successful coach after being... You know, what a career for him. Chris Pronger, I think, is one of the, the greatest personalities in hockey history. Just being this this surly, like, puck thief. And just <laughs> what a, the attitude on that guy and just what a game changer. When you talk about game changers, when you talk about guys who make teams better, Chris Pronger was that kind of guy. He drug multiple teams Stanley Cup final. And it's what an unbelievable career. I'd love to see the treatment for him. I think Ovechkin is a, he's probably the best personality in the game today, if not the best, one of the best, because, you know, this is a guy who has fun with the game. Uh, There are certainly, you know, questions about some of the hits he dishes out because he can be a pretty dirty player, but he's an unbelievable goal scorer. He's probably the best goal scorer we've ever seen. And I would just love to get an in-depth look at what makes him tick. 
And then the one other player I wanted to mention was uh, Henrik Lundqvist, who I just saw playing the guitar on NHL and TNT last night. And <laughs> Lundqvist might be known anyway, as... Anyway, here's Wonderwall. <laughs> yeah, here's Wonderwall. It just, you know, obviously we all know him for being handsome unless you read Broad Street Hockey where, you know, he's ugly if you read Broad Street Hockey. Plays in a train station. Plays in a train station. How can you, you know, it's very dimly lit in there. But Lundqvist... I would say he's probably one of the best goaltenders to never win a cup. So I, I would, you know, another I'd very... I'd say he's int- the best. I, w- I would agree with that. I would agree with that. He, at his peak, was a brick wall. He was so freaking good. And yeah, I'd love to see the treatment on him. All right. So also on here, we have the Flyers-Penguins rivalry. We have the Red Wings-Avs rivalry, which I think is like the easiest pick for a 30 for 30 of anything on this list here. So many besides maybe Lindros is that right there. That's so easy. The decline of the goon, which I think would be awesome too, because you talk about how starting sort of with the Flyers teams keep getting bigger and bigger and having guys whose designated role is to fight and then fighting starts to get phased out of the game. I think that's awesome, both on like the side of you can show how hockey really was just total warfare for a little while there and then show the personal side too of what are the lingering after effects and ramifications of having a game like that where you have people like Donald Brashear whose lives fall apart after they're out of hockey because of the way that they've lived for so long where their livelihood is based upon being able to beat the shit out of people and play through injury and they they supplement that with addiction a lot of the time so and CTE is a factor there too so that's that's all interesting. Uh, the 80s Flyers, right on the verge of winning three Stanley Cups, but they ran into two dynasties. And then we have some of my picks here, which the first one is very near and dear to my heart. The fact that the Nashville Predators have become one of the more successful franchises in the past decade and a half of the league, despite playing in maybe the weirdest market in the sport. Oh, it's I, when I was in Nashville... I could not believe the amount of Pred stuff I saw in comparison to the other teams. Like, I was so They're happy the team to of the that. city. They're the team for of the sure. city. I could tell that from being there. I was there like two and a half days, and I could 100% tell that. And I loved it. I loved it. I took a picture next to a big, like, cardboard Hal Gill cutout. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I told you this on a previous episode, but they would, like, give those out to schools and stuff, and you'd stand next to it to see how tall you were. That's what I did. <laughs> as a grown-ass drunk man hey like you were not as tall as hal gill i was not no i was not after i and i gave that guy a lot of shit as a philadelphia flyer but like i love that story and i would love to hear more about that because the predators really have been a franchise that you never would have expected to to make it like they have and i would say of the expansion franchises they are probably the most successful as far as uh, embedding themselves into a fan base, the recent expansion franchises, and specifically uh, the Southern belt, because I've heard some assholes before say like, oh, hockey shouldn't be below a certain point in the country. Like, fuck you. Like, hockey should be expanded everywhere. And unfortunately, there's some markets where it hasn't really worked, Arizona. But even though it hasn't worked, it's still inspired certain players to get out there and play, specifically Austin Matthews. Yeah, like, The Preds are so interesting to me because they, I think the majority of the interest is not on the ice for a lot of the beginning of their history because they were a very boring team. Um, And they have been for some time. 
but it's more of the how did this team go into a market where people knew nothing about hockey and there wasn't even like a culture of there's like strong minor league hockey here or something like that it's the nashville knights who were essentially a beer league team they were echl i think back when the echl was like a joke pretty much and no disrespect to any nashville knights uh alumni who are listening to this podcast but yeah like they would they would go and they would play and people would smoke up a storm and get really drunk and that was the purpose of going to games and that was all the culture they had in the state really to now it's got a pretty strong youth hockey culture compared to a lot of the other places in the south uh you've got a high school circuit that's thriving up there you've got guys who are starting to go and play for college now i know a guy who i went to elementary school with who's at ohio state right now and there's there's all sorts of really cool stuff that's come out of Nashville as an expansion team. And also, I think people forget that team almost moved because the original owner of the franchise is the guy who now owns the Minnesota Wild. And he tried to move the Predators to Minnesota in like their third or fourth year of existence. So that's something that gets glossed over, too. And there was this whole grassroots movement to keep the team in Nashville that I think could be an interesting little nexus of the story. So that... We have Scotty Bowman on here, his career, coached a bunch of different teams, saw it all, won a bunch of cups. Hell of a career. The Maple Leafs being a tire fire for over 50 years, all the highs and lows, I think that would be fun. The 80s, Islanders and Oilers dynasties, the highs, and then also maybe ESPN doing some investigative work to find out if there was any dysfunction in there or stories of the locker rooms and stuff like that. Just run it on back-to-back nights with the the Flyers, the 80s Flyers <laughs> losing out to them. Because, yeah. Like, how stunning is it that the Flyers could have had is huge, like, they had so many opportunities in the 80s, and they just happened to play, I don't know, the two greatest dynasties in NHL history. Yeah, not, not too fortunate. No. Mario Lemieux's life, you know, being an incredible prospect, taking the Penguins from nothing to... The peak of the NHL, NHL royalty, and sort of turning them into the organization that they are, then getting cancer, coming back, and then uh, retiring, then coming back again to save the franchise. As much as I hate the Penguins, that's an incredible story. And then, and then, and then, you know, selling them again, selling them to the Fenway group like he just did. So let's throw that in there. Now, Mario Lemieux, Mario Lemieux, I have to say this. People get my Philly accent for saying Mario, but Mario Lemieux, just one of the best overall hockey players I've ever seen. Just the raw talent on that guy. And it's so tragic that he did get cancer and, and everything because he was just, just one of the best flat out hockey players I've ever watched in my life. Like, it's just so unbelievably good. Yeah, he's a clear candidate here. Ken Dryden was the next guy on my list. Probably the smartest man to ever play and like have a good career. Hall of Fame player, played only eight years in the league and won, I think, what was it, six Stanley Cups or something bonkers like that. Yeah. And won the Con Smythe before he even won the Calder Trophy. And then was like, hey, I, I want to go be a lawyer so i'm gonna not do this anymore and then he did it and became a member of the canadian government and wrote a couple of the best books ever written about hockey so 
I think he'd be a wonderful person to do some interview work on and just do something centered around him. Maybe my favorite thing that I have on here, though, is... And I, I, before you get into it, this is also my favorite thing on here, and I'm really glad you added it. Uh, the history of black players in the NHL, starting with Willie O'Ree and then kind of going through everybody who came after him, specifically hitting on some of the bigger names like Grant Fuhr, who was the first uh, African-American player to be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And then you've got the modern star players that you could ask questions of, like P.K. Subban and uh, Wayne Simmons and not so much Evander Kane anymore, but uh, there there are plenty of guys to ask. Matt Dumba, there are players worth asking. Even Quentin Byfield would maybe be good because he was the highest drafted African-American player ever at second overall. And I think they would all have interesting stories about what's the experience growing up playing a sport where not many people look like you and breaking into the league and having that higher profile presence and some of the abuse that they've dealt with. I'm sure O'Ree would have plenty of stories on that front. Oh, I'm sure. probably too. And then specifically, there's like easy stuff that you could bring up with Simmons and specifically Subban uh, with the tirade of tweets with racial slurs in them after the Boston-Montreal series back in like, what was that, 2014 or something? Oh, yeah. And, and like all that stuff, oh, just so many awful recent things, and we're even seeing it with with some of the the young players that are just coming into the league, and it's it's terrible. So the interesting thing on this front is LeBron James and Drake are actually producing a documentary about black hockey players called Black Ice. Yeah, I I will for sure watch that. I don't know how good it will be because I don't know that LeBron is gonna. Well, they're producing you know, so. Some- you know, I'm sure qualified people will make it, but, uh, yeah, I mean, see how that is. I'm sure, you know, I'm, I'm very interested to check that out because it is a fascinating topic and, uh, you know, it's certainly something that hockey needs to get better at, as I've said repeatedly on this program. And I, it's very important for the sport to grow, to get much better in the area of inclusivity. All right, I'm going to skip over a couple here, and I'm oh, just going to say... I had one other thing I wanted to say. Oh, just, uh, throw it in. And we, you know, Craig and I actually met Willie O'Ree at a Snyder hockey event a couple years back, and that was just so cool. You know, really cool to to meet an absolute legend and, and somebody who's so important to this game. Yeah, I'm sure he was awesome. I'd love to meet him at some point, uh, God willing, in the near future, because I know he's on the older side, but that that's a topic that's really important to cover. And I think it would be worth anybody's time, but especially ESPN's time to cover it and go through the good, the bad, the ugly, the triumphs of these players, the accomplishments that they've made through adversity. It's all very interesting. And I think if you're trying to grow the game and its appeal, you gotta talk about this. You can't just ignore it and act like it's not there. So definitely on the list here, my last two that I just wanted to mention were Martin St. Louis, who is probably the unlikeliest NHL Hall of Famer of all time. Small guy, undrafted, just worked his tail off to become the star that he ended up being, beloved player within the communities that he played for. I, I think he'd be 
wonderful as a subject. And then lastly, the Russian Five. There's already been a lot of great documentaries made on them, but it wouldn't hurt. Oh, yeah. And th- again, fascinating figures right there. And of course, a, a buzz saw that the, the Flyers ran into. And going back to Martin St. Louis real quick, I, you know, that's a guy who annoyed me his entire career somehow, because he even played on a his minor league team, his AHL team played in the Calder Cup against the Phantoms. And I remember watching that Calder Cup final and going, this guy's annoying as shit. And then he would just be a scourge to me for many, many years to come on the Lightning and Rangers. Sounds about right for Martin St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely that guy. You also have on here oh, the Matthew Barnaby's three-wheel car ride in the J, the J. Rose Hill Triathlon. So. The J. Rose Hill Triathlon. I want to see a 10-part OJ-type documentary made about the J. Rose Hill Triathlon. 30 for 30. The J. Rose Hill Triathlon. Make it happen, ESPN. All right. So we're going to wrap up this show with a game here. Mr. Steve Jaco, you have no idea what this is, correct? I have no clue. Okay. As of right now, you have been chosen. Well, let me let me let me back up a little bit. <laughs> it's so dramatic. Mr. Dave Scott has decided to step down. As the chairman of the Flyers, the owner of the Flyers, oh, wow. uh, or at least the mouthpiece for the owner of the Flyers. And it, it has been recently discovered that you are actually the heir to all of Comcast. So you now own the Philadelphia Flyers. Is this a board game? And <laughs> you're, you're selecting head coaches. However, as you are not in direct, direct control of what is going on and you're Steve Jacot, uh, and you've had Dave Scott's knowledge of hockey transfer to you which is to say none um you're going to be selecting a new head coach a new general manager and two new assistant coaches without knowing the actual identities of these coaches i will give you a description and then Ah. you will select from the pool okay and then once we get done uh with each round i will reveal to you who you have hired oh baby so let's start this off And listen carefully, because we've got a lot of candidates for each of them. Number one for head coaches. This coach is a three-time Stanley Cup champion. He began his head coaching career, or his coaching career, sorry, as an assistant with the Colorado Avalanche. And for his career as a head coach, he has a .475 points percentage. Pretty good, pretty good. That's candidate number one. Number two. A career .548 points percentage as an NHL head coach. Has worked in the NHL in media coverage. Began his coaching career working for the Rochester Americans in the AHL. Number three. A Stanley Cup winner. 15th all-time in wins by an NHL head coach. Was fired twice in the past decade and made the playoffs only twice in the last seven years that he coached. Number four, played over a thousand games as an NHL player, won a Stanley Cup, and made the playoffs in both of the last two full seasons he coached. Number five, career 635 points percentage, has never made a Stanley Cup final appearance, and 16th all-time in goals by an AHL player. Number six, experience as an NHL assistant coach and an AHL head coach, Played over a thousand NHL games and only forty-seven years old. From that stack, 
who would you like to select as your head coach? Oh, oh man. I, these are all tricks. I know it. And <sighs> I promise there are some actual realistic good candidates on here. I I know that number one sounded too good to be true. There, there's no way that number one is as good as it sounds. <laughs> it's definitely, it's a trap. I know it. Um, let's go. Let's go with, uh, I know I'm screwed no matter what. So I'm going to go with the, the guy on the younger end, the, the number six right there. You have selected Ian LaPerriere. Oh, hell yeah. Coach. Hell yeah. <laughs> lappy. Get on your lappy face. Yes. <laughs> So, number one was Rick Tockett. Ah, I should have gone with number one. He won three Stanley Cups, but I didn't say whether that was as a coach or a player. They were all as a player. Number two was John Tortorella. Yeah, okay, okay. Number three was Claude Julien. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Number four, I am honestly a little disappointed you didn't select him, Randy Carlisle. <laughs> That that's the nightmare right there. And number five, Mr. Bruce Boudreaux. Ah, so you selected arguably the worst or second worst option on the board here, which is good for my uh, comedic value of this game, but not so good for the Philadelphia. No, no, it's very bad. By a guy, this is already a nightmare scenario. AHL games, (laughs) and they haven't been good. They've been terrible. I just talked about this with Maddie for forty-five minutes yesterday on the Phantoms fix. Like, not good so far, and that would be a nightmare. And we've talked about this in the Slack as a potential (laughs) nightmare scenario for this season. So I'm glad that I I have chosen and enabled this nightmare. Oh my God, Lappy as the head coach, truly the best timeline. So now we move on to general managers here. So number one has worked with Paul Holmgren before. Keep in mind, Paul Holmgren still the president of the Flyers at this point. Has worked in player development and as a head coach. Currently a vice president of player development. Okay. Number two, a Philadelphia native began <laughs> NHL front office work only in 2013, currently an assistant general manager. Number three, former NHL player with over a thousand games played, Won a Stanley Cup, has been part of Tampa Bay and Detroit's front offices, although I will not specify when. Number four, won a Stanley Cup as a general manager, attended Harvard. Team posted a winning record just once in his most recent general managing gig. And number five, a former NHL player with over a thousand games played, was mostly recently an NHL assistant GM, and he worked for an organization that made the Stanley Cup final in the past decade. Choose your fighter. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! This is all. This is all. I am damned no matter what. Um, I will say there are only two truly horrible options on here. Uh, there's and only everybody two. else is fine to good. Only two poison opinion. pills right here. Yes, I've made your life slightly easier. <laughs> Oh my god. Um Give me the briefest rundown you can of these. Just like I just want okay. like a couple words about each one. So number 1, Nose Holmgren, player development <laughs> and ringing. coach. Currently a VP of player development. Okay. Number 2, from Philly, only started working in the NHL as like a front office guy in 2013 and currently an AGM 
Number three, played over a thousand games, won a Stanley Cup, worked for the Lightning and the Red Wings. Number four, <laughs> may or may not be Stevie Y. Won a Stanley Cup as a GM, uh, went to Harvard, and his team had a winning record just once when no, he was a GM most recently. I, I'm not going with that guy. No way. And then number five, played over a thousand games, most recently in AGM, and his team that he worked for uh, made the Stanley Cup this last decade. You know what? Against my better judgment, I'm going to choose some Philadelphia freedom right here and go with number two. You have selected Mr. Eric Tolsky to be the general yes! manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah. Your other options. Number one, Pierre Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Doc. I'm going to be a GM, Doc. Number three was Pat Verbeek, who actually uh, worked under Steve Eisenman as an assistant GM and then traveled to Detroit and is currently the AGM with him now. That man has looked tired his entire life. He's actually, like, not a bad pick. Number four, that would be Mr. Chia Pet, Peter Chiarelli. Oh, I, I knew there was something wrong with that one. <laughs> and number five was uh, Scott Mellenby. Scott, so, Mellenby and the Infinite Sadness. Mellenby and the Infinite Sadness, the best episode title in the history of this show. Yeah, I'm so proud of that one. So you actually probably picked the best option on the board here in contrast to Ian LaPerriere. Oh, my so, God. So for a rundown, we have Mr. Eric Tolsky as the GM. Ian LaPerriere as the head coach. And now we will be selecting two assistant coaches. I think, again, only two of these are truly bad. Uh, and one of these might be, two of these might be names that you don't actually know, but are good candidates. Uh, so let's run through them really fast here. Number one, has never coached in the NHL or the AHL. A Washington, D.C. coaching and playing legend. Currently an NCAA assistant coach. Number two, slated to be a Team Canada assistant coach, currently an assistant at a Canadian university, only 34 years old. Number three, was part of a Stanley Cup winning coaching staff, played over 400 NHL games as a player, currently an assistant in the AHL. Number four, played over 700 NHL games, has NHL head coaching experience, currently a free agent. Number five, played over a thousand NHL games, coached with the Coyotes, Rangers, Blackhawks, and is currently in Florida. Ended his playing career in Philadelphia. Number six, former first round NHL draft pick, took a puck to the face as a player and then scored a goal immediately afterwards, perhaps the thing he is the most famous for in his playing career. Currently an assistant coach. Hmm. Pick your poison. I'm picking two poisons here? Yes. Okay. Let's get the, the quick the quick rundown. Alright. Number one. Never coached in the NHL or AHL. Big name in DC. NCAA assistant. Okay. Number two. Gonna be an assistant for Team Canada. Assistant at a Canadian university. 34 years young. Number three, won a Stanley Cup as part of a coaching staff, played over 400 NHL games, currently an assistant in the AHL. Number four, played over 700 NHL games, has NHL head coaching experience, currently not employed by an NHL team. Mm -mm. Number five, played over 1,000 NHL games, coached with the Coyotes, Rangers, Blackhawks, and currently is in Florida, ended his playing career in Philly. Number six, Former first-round NHL pick, 
took a puck to the face, then scored, currently an assistant coach. All right, let's get crazy and a little young, and let's go one and two. Okay, so you've selected Dante Abercrombie and Corey Chevery, both of whom are the names that the people listening to this are the least likely to know. Abercrombie, big name as a skills coach, uh, has been rumored about for NHL assistant coaching gigs pretty frequently. He's a really big name in the local Washington, D.C. coaching circuit, um, and I think he should get a look pretty soon in the NHL or the AHL in a significant role. Number two, Corey Chevery. Uh, apologies if I'm butchering that, but she is the first woman to work for Team Canada, as far as I can tell, um, as an assistant coach to be part of that coaching staff. She's very young, and she's considered one of the most promising assistant coaching prospects in the game right now. Option number three was Mr. Dan Bilesma. <laughs> so I'm kind of upset you didn't pick him. Option number four was Mike Milbury. <laughs> I knew I didn't like that one. Option number five is Ulf Samuelson. Ulf! And option number six was Tim Gleason. Ulf Samuelson was a dirty fucking player. Yes, I'm well aware. Trust me. So... Our staff that we are now looking at running the future of the Philadelphia Flyers, the GM, Mr. Eric Tolsky. I think we're in good hands there. The head coach, Ian LaPerriere. Give him a I chance. I guess we, can, we can count on getting the first or second overall pick with him. Give him a chance. <laughs> and then assistant coaches, Dante Abercrombie, one of the first African-American assistant coaches in the NHL. So very progressive of the Flyers and Corey Chevery, one of the first assistant coaches, if not the first assistant coach in the NHL, uh, that was a woman. So the Flyers actually being pretty progressive, which is a decent fit for Mr. Tolsky. Um, outside of, a lot you know, that... employing Lappy as the head coach. Does it say a lot that I, I stayed away from people with actual NHL experience? I just was like, no, I don't want any part of these retreads. Totally fair. That was, I mean... We could be looking at right now, if you had gone for the people with the most NHL experience, let's see. You would have, for your head coach, either Claude Julien or Bruce Boudreau, which that'd be fine. That would be a big deal. Uh, For GM, you would have either Pat Verbeek or Scott Mellenby. Uh, And then... For your assistant coaches, you would have Dan Bilesma and Mike Milbury. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Give me, give me Bilesma, Milbury, Pierre Maguire, and <laughs> and uh, oh, oh, Randy Carlyle. Randy Carlyle. That's yeah. that's like the worst possible set right there, right? That's if just, you just wanted the Flyers to burn to the ground. That's just like I don't want to watch hockey anymore. Let's just go nuts, and I'll never watch the sport again. Yeah, there, there you go. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that one. I had fun putting that game together. That was good. I like that. I, I would be down for another uh, similar game sometime, but that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Next time I would fly Purbly, picking NHL head coaches as professional wrestlers. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a wrestling guy, but get Bill on and we can do it. Yeah, sure. Why not? All right. All right. Good game. Good way to end this episode. Not all gloom and doom. We actually managed to have some fun, even though the Flyers are a hot tire fire, just like there was in Philadelphia a few weeks back. Folks, thank you so much for listening. If you have any feedback, the best place is on twitter.com.org.edu.ca. 
Eamon, where can people reach you on Twitter? They can find me at JinNUC, although that account is currently locked uh, because I'm applying for jobs and I don't want people to see that I uh, curse out hockey teams on Twitter for (laughs) trying to avoid settlements with players whose sexual assault they covered up. But anyways, Anyways. uh, because they might take that as unprofessional, which says a lot about the league. But uh, yeah, so uh, I, I should open that back up shortly. But in the meantime... Uh, you should look for anything I put out on broadstreethockey.com. Spoiler alert, there will probably be some stuff coming up pretty soon, so pay close attention to the website. I will be doing some fun things, maybe even uh, that draft pick thing that I said earlier in the show, which now I think I Mandela affected myself that I wrote about, and it's more of just a I've been meaning to write about kind of thing. All right, awesome. Well, going to keep uh, an eye out for all that. So you can reach Eamon at Jen and Yussi. Uh, maybe you can. We'll see. You can reach me at Flyperbole or at Esteban, but if they're hockey, make it Flyperbole. Follow BSH Radio, follow Broad Street Hockey, follow Broad Street Hockey on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, follow Flyperbole on Instagram. Oh, wow. Lots of things. Folks, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, in the words of the great Gene Hart, good night and good hockey. Wow. Wow. That's all we need.